Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Anna. How are you? Hello. I'm good, thank you. It's good to have you, you here. It's good to have thank you here. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff because it's very important to me. Um, and I'm always grateful for any kind of platform because it's mm. such a serious subject. So thank you for having me. And, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, it is a serious topic and sometimes people treat it too seriously and that can put people off. And, you know, I, I think bringing the human element to things makes a massive yeah. difference. And given well, that you've been in yeah. this and, and given that you've been in this um, game for a very long time, you know, how do you keep it human? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I do is um, I've what I've done is I've married um, so much about of my personal and professional life together. Mm. And actually, the, the core of my methodology, which is called core, it's the kindness incorporated methodology, but the core principles are really about what it's like to be human. Mm. How do you create a robust, resilient and fully rounded human being and that's really what I do so that's how I survive it yeah really so every day in a way in my work I'm hearing what it is to be human all the time so it means that I can be knocked sideways by things I can be sad by things I can also be belly laugh about things so I'm I'm definitely a mixed bag human being I'm open to all it is and, and sometimes that's fantastic and sometimes yeah. it's not so great yeah, and and the difficulty is is when it's not great, we have to find our own ways of of getting back on the horse again. And 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 really, you know, that's why I do my book and my hyderisms. It's sort of my way of getting back on the horse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of keeping myself well and sane, I I allow myself to change my mind. Yeah. And allow myself to adjust. Yeah. all of the time yeah. so for instance today I, I know what I've got ahead of me but if I if I need to do a meditation or I need to have a power nap or something I, I on the whole I'm not perfect but on the whole I try to have time where I can do that because sometimes I could just be sapped of energy yeah. and think right how am I going to actually make the afternoon and evening yeah. and what I find with clients is clients that are burning out or do burn out and break down are often so incredibly capable of extending themselves beyond their human limits that they don't allow themselves to change their mind and adjust so I kind of try to walk the talk if you like but partly I just bleed and have to because I get really exhausted yeah yeah and you know it, it's a serious business it's a, it's a really serious business dealing with people's trauma on a daily yeah. basis you know it's not it's not an easy job but then it attracts a certain type of trait and characteristic and when yeah. when when did you sort of work that one out 
To be honest, I it was right from the beginning. Mm. I specialized in trauma from the very beginning. I went to study at the University of California in San Francisco to do clinical trainings. And um, my second placement out there was in a level one trauma center. So it was um, physical trauma often, but there was a lot of psychosocial trauma as well. And then that was, I don't know what it was. It just I just had a, a moment of realization, I think, that I, I wasn't frightened of it. I wanted to be part of the solution. And of course, I was very inexperienced at the time, but one of the things was I wasn't one of those people that would cross the street and be afraid to talk about it. And I realized that about myself. Mm. And I was very lucky. I went to university quite late in my early 20s. Well, it wasn't that late now, because now I'm 50, but in my early 20s. And <laughs> I literally don't care. And, um, and um, a, a couple of lecturers there said, oh, you'd, you'd make a therapist. Yeah. And... Um, because they're just talking to me. So it, it yeah. kind of came together. Uh, that, and yeah, so I noticed in San Francisco, oh yeah. And it wasn't like I was reveling in it. It's just, I wasn't running away from it. Yeah, yeah. So I thought if I could sit with somebody in this level of distress, yeah. if I could sit with somebody who'd woken up from a suicide attempt yeah. and, and was devastated that they'd woken up and I could work with them for a couple of months to see them through feeling better enough to want to live yeah, you know that yeah. that it was that kind of thing really wow it was wow. that and, and so i i studied trauma for all of my career if, if there is such a thing as a career these days but yeah that's what happened and is trauma universal or is it cultural i know there are differences uh, to be honest with you, I've worked with people from all around the world, and I think that there are elements that is absolutely universal. Yeah. And I think the things that are cultural are the things to understand to support somebody's recovery. But I think, I think the circuitry. If you think it's the, if you think about neurologically, and the circuitry is incredibly similar for everyone. Um, if not the same, it's of course it's not the same. But it's I think that the imprint of trauma is universal. And you know I've worked with people that I haven't been able to speak English with because I don't have any other languages. But I've worked with them. I worked with people from all around the world when I was in the states and when I worked in London. How do you do that? Um, I use art. I used wow. to. I, I studied as a play therapist to begin with, and then an art psychotherapist. And alongside that, I've studied three specific trauma reprocessing techniques. So, and actually, funnily enough, I went, when I was in San Francisco, I, I was working with, um, I remember working with a, a, a little girl. She was only about five. And she was from China, and she'd been brought over from China. And um, she didn't speak any English, but I didn't know. And it was it was when my um, line manager, my supervisor, said to me, oh, "Oh, how are you? How are you communicating without the language?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And she said, "Well, she doesn't speak any English." And I was like, "No, she could totally speak to me." And then I realised I'd done a tranche of like twelve therapy sessions with this young child, and we hadn't spoken a word. And that is absolute truth. And I was as blown away. I was just so blown away. I was like, oh, my goodness. 
I totally understood her. I understood what she was saying. She understood me. And I had to work with her in quarantine. She was really, really poorly. And, and you know, I'd have to scrub up. And and I was only the only person apart from family that was allowed in. And, yeah, I didn't know that she couldn't speak. So there's, there is, in a, in a universal language, your, because I knew about trauma, the universal language was pen and paper or or toys could you could, could you talk us through that process how, how, um, how does that work well my, if you young kids will always play out their experience as you mm. you know so I've worked with people that young people and families that have been in war uh, victims of crime and if they are maybe they're too traumatized to speak they will show you in what the what the toys they will show you with mm. toys you know this person came in this this person had a gun this person had a knife this person mm. came through the door and they will they can model it so what what i used to do was create a, a kit if you like a play kit that would have the elements of the experience i knew they'd had mm. not coach them into it because you, you didn't need to they they would show you with the mm. And then what I would do is, in terms of trauma reprocessing and treatment, is that you can, you as the therapist can actually use the tools and toys back to them and say, like, this is what, this is, I would have a figure that was me, I'd come and help you. Mm. This is me coming to support you, to come alongside mm. you in this journey. Um, and you try to explain what symptoms are. And sometimes just be having that calm influence with somebody with trauma mm. is mm. really important, as you probably noticed. Yeah, yeah, and to and to if you're very self-regulated, that helps their system regulate as well, and which is really important when people are in crisis. So you've got all if you've got a whole one person in a family that's uh, say got PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of the other family members are also suffering some yeah. kind of trauma whether it's like a vicarious trauma or they're actually traumatized as well. So you've got everybody in the family with heightened state of arousal, hypervigilance, all kinds of trauma symptoms, and they're all in disarray. Somebody needs to go in there to help them self-regulate. You know, then they're, they're not out of control mm. that because they can't do it. It's simply their system is, is in such disarray that that calm and influence is really important. And that's a lot of the work that I did in London was worked with um, victims of crime, of gun, gunshot mm. wounds, knife wounding, gangs, um, and you're doing the same. So, so you're right in a way. I think it is universal, mm. but there mm. are cultural differences to how people, for instance, certain um, certain families I've worked with. If somebody is raped, then how they how the whole family experiences that is different. Yeah. So you've got a familial culture yeah. and you've got like a more pervasive culture as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting now that you've got social media and you've got uh, a much more you know intrusive element into one's culture and one's family. And I see things getting more complicated or at least more challenging so to speak. Let's be positive about this. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's going to change the dynamics on on the culture side? And to be honest, I think it's side? twofold. I think it's twofold. The fact that we're 
we're living with our wounds wide open these days. Um, I think it's twofold. Yeah. It, one is that the the positive, I guess, is that people are out there talking about it. Mm. Um, what what you can see if you know about trauma is that people are exposing their wounds mm. to the world mm. in an attempt to heal themselves. And actually, there can be a backlash, and people can hurt them again, mm, mm. and they're very vulnerable. It gets but you infected, can... you know. Open wounds get infected. True, yeah, exactly. Um, mm. um, you can see why people would do it. They, 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 they want to say, "Look, here's me. I've been through this." And but if if people aren't kindly towards them and supportive, yeah. that can deepen the trauma. Um, the positive, I guess, is that if people are talking about trauma or whatever they're talking about in terms of uh, mental and psychiatric health, then if we become more okay with it, mm. then we can learn to treat it and yeah. speed recovery. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess that's a positive way of looking at it. Yeah, it, it's, it's... So it's not yeah. so hidden and shameful. Yeah, you know, it's sort of not so dark and, oh, this is all strange for us and we must stay away from it. Um, because it is such a natural illness so to speak just like we get physically ill we get mentally ill as well it's sort of synonymous with things i think that i think we've just got to stop ch making it different yeah we're yeah. just all we're, we're whole systems yeah yeah, yeah. we're whole, whole, whole beings and it yeah. doesn't matter whether we i just think we should be calling talking about mental healthiness rather than because if you if you if we say mental health as you'll well know as soon as you talk about mental health, people hear mental ill health, yeah. don't they? And I just think we need to, it's, it comes back to that humanity that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. We've got to start talking about the whole system. That's why I talk with clients about the whole system, mind, body, soul, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, it, you know, I, that's the way I see it. It's, it's, I, it. I think the stigma around mental health is really... We've evolved as human beings to be absolutely terrified of emotional pain mm, mm, mm. because we don't have to worry about hunting and gathering so much anymore in the same way as we yeah. once did. Yeah. That I think that the emotional pain, for instance, grief, which is the most difficult emotion as a human being to endure, I think we try to do, we'll do absolutely anything to stay away from it. That's that's my take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we haven't, you know, the emotional evolution of us as a species hasn't evolved as much as our physical kind of health. It's sort of lagging behind. I, it's almost like the brains had to find something else to worry about. It's got a, it's yeah. got a worry space. So now we've evolved that to to feel grief and and i the reason i think grief is the most painful emotion is because it's about loss so mm. if you've lost something then the pain is so extreme and the whole system knows you can't have back what you've lost yeah. whether that's a bereavement whether it's a loss of a country whether yeah. it's a loss of a home yeah. you can't the pain can't go away you just have to process it yeah. yeah or not as the case may be and 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 given that you know we're from professions where you're winning all the time or you're in a society that wins all the time 
and you know you're in a kind of sphere where it's all about winning and all about success and all about lovely skin and big uh, body body parts and so it's like the fear of loss it's just so so profound and yeah and and, and unfortunately it's getting it's going to get worse given with you know social media and all the false stuff that goes on there and all these sort of uh, instant success stories and and the list goes on it's sort of it's quite interesting it's sort of perpetuating that that win 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 at all costs and keep going until you keep winning and but then what happens when you lose that's right and yeah. and, and that's that's as that's probably more part of life uh, 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 yeah. that getting used to not having what you want or or for or for some even what you need yeah that's you know that 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 this intense um fixation on success well what the hell is that you know i i and it's really interesting because we met on linkedin didn't we and mm. if you if you look at how people sell success uh, my interest is those those business coaches or business gurus whatever you want to call them I'm interested in those people that talk about the journey mm, mm, because mm. I work with, you know, I work with entrepreneurs. I work with very clever on paper, successful people, but guess what? They struggle to arrive in their lives. They struggle to feel like they've succeeded yeah. even when to somebody else, they look like success. Yeah. But if you can't enjoy it or you've not enjoyed the journey, what's the point? Yeah, and that—that's yeah. where it's—that's where we're dehumanizing people. And yeah. I, and you're right, the whole social media thing is—it it will have to recalibrate at some point. Yeah, I mean, there will be a revolution essentially, you know, once it yeah. really goes down the pan. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I work with really rich kids from the Middle East, and you know, people look at me thinking, "Wow, the, you must be so lucky," or "They're so lucky." You know, Lamborghini is everywhere, and for and I'm telling you, it's such a miserable environment. As mm-hmm. in, <laughs> they're so they are so mm. miserable, and people look at me in surprise. And that's because they've had everything; they are successful, and yet so empty inside. Well, there's the other the other way of looking at it is you know, working with people that have inherited money, mm, that mm, are mm. you know that that are born into. Yeah. a lot of money and privilege but they're human beings and exactly. they yeah, they exactly. they still that, crave for the normal stuff that everyone craves for essentially yeah and it comes down to the work the, the work that i do which is really about um transforming inner brutality which we none of us are born with tell us more about but, that I'm, but it I'm, evolves in us i'm, I'm, I'm the center of the work that i do is inner brutality of thought was something that i discovered I know I know, it comes out in so many ways but my way of thinking about it is people's relationships with themselves is is the issue yeah so yeah. you can be a multi-millionaire but if you put your head on the pillow pillow and you hate yourself yeah. Yeah. nothing no money nothing can change that until that person is ready to look at their how they relate to themselves are they brutalizing themselves haranguing themselves are they not good enough are they too thin too fat too whatever it and that affects absolutely everything that affects their 
their happiness health, their ability to be in the moment and live with ease. And that's, for me, the, the, the crux of the work. It doesn't matter who I see. Yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. comes in with a level of different levels of inner brutality. But that's the key. Mm -hmm. If people can learn to be companionable with themselves and build that relationship, they're way, way, way more resilient. Yeah. And happier. How, how did you come to that realization? I came, I t well, it's a part, partly a personal and professional marriage. <laughs> I had a terrible experience in 2011 and I literally broke down. Mm -hmm. And um, my inner brutality came out massively mm -hmm. to the point where it was like I, was, I had two people in me. One was going, you're a good person. The other person was going, you literally can't live. You're so ashamed. So, um, and I was like, I was, I'd, I was assaulted by a partner of mine. Um, he was arrested. Relationship was over literally that evening. And because I had been worn down by the relationship already, I, I just broke down completely. And for about a year, I spent almost every day saying, you'll never recover. You'll never recover. How embarrassing to be a psychotherapist specializing in PTSD and I end up with it, yeah. right? I, I had PTSD, I was very poorly and I was dragging myself through the days and sometimes not, you know, I really wasn't very well. But coupled with that, I was so angry with myself. So there was no internal kindness. There was like, you idiot, you fancy not seeing it coming, yeah, fancy meeting yeah. somebody like that you know you you know how could you do that your yeah. your kids da, da, da. and then one day I just stood up and I was like are you going to do this for the rest of your life are you going to make sure you do recover because if you continue like this you absolutely won't recover that you can be sure of <laughs> literally I said this out how loud how can we get that internal that good voice just to speak to us is it just it just happens out of the blue oh it takes practice this was yeah. only the first port of call yeah. so and this is what my methodology was based on I brought the personal professional together and that's what created kindness incorporated and the core model which is companionship consideration care so it starts with the decision yeah. to to make that change. And that's what I did. So every time I berated myself internally or called myself an idiot or worse, frankly, um, I was like, what? No, this is this happened to you. And I, it's all right to feel sorry for what you've been through. So changing it, being committed to changing to a more kindly, companionable voice within myself. And things started to shift. I started to feel stronger. I started to feel happier. I started to, the shakes started to go. You know, I started, okay, so if I can't fall out with myself or let myself down, I've got a chance to be alive and well in this world. Because yeah. I got to the point where I didn't want to die. I wasn't in in that place. I, I didn't want to die, but I didn't know how to live. Because yeah. I couldn't live with how I felt. And I was in such neurological disarray. I was literally shaking from head to foot didn't sleep for more than an hour for six months. So it was an internal voice that gave you that choice or was it someone outside of you that gave you that choice? No, it was, it, I tell you what it was, it was getting into my professional head 
Mm. Uh, at that point, I'd worked for 20 years mm. with people mm. in trauma. Mm. And I thought, would you speak to them like that? Mm. Would you? Mm. No, you wouldn't. Mm. Mm. So, so kind of having a word with myself, really, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, you, it's your intellectual self sort of yeah. I had to picking yourself that. up and say, look, and 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 probably you know when you sort of go to work and you see some trauma there and you think, right, okay, and that sort of overtook the emotional and the sort of the un animalistic side of things. True, absolutely, and and I thought. I would believe that somebody else would recover. So why am I teaching oh, myself? Yeah. Why am I coaching myself that yeah, yeah. that that I'm not? Yeah. And, a, and and some of that was, you know, sh shame. Yeah. So 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 what? So I thought, well, what do I do? Spend a life of that, or yeah. or actually transform this into something else? Yeah. And yeah, because I really do. I really did believe. I mean, I'm laughing at it now. I really did believe I wouldn't recover. Yeah, and yeah. I am I am changed by the experience for sure. Sure. But not all for the bad. Yeah. Well, and I mean it's 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 interesting because when I go through shit at the time it's absolutely horrible. But looking back, I thought, fuck, you know, I'm I'm glad that happened. <laughs> literally. I literally say that. I'm yeah. you know, I I know it's easier always looking back and retrospectively, you know cognitively speaking and intellectually speaking we can always justify our, our actions going backwards but you know it is you know the trauma does make such a profound positive effect for you if you decide if you to choose that way as well and it's not easy and i'm not you know demeaning anybody that doesn't choose because you're when you're in it it's so hard i mean for me it was a phenomenal um opportunity to go from treating people with PTSD to to live in it, yeah, yeah. and I was like, God, you had no bloody right to to believe yeah. people could control their neurological neurological disarray because it was overwhelming. So, for me, I think as a with my professional head on, I turned it round to going, how privileged am I yeah. to know what the hell's going on here? But the problem with that, you know, we can't make students go through trauma in order to become no, no. better. <laughs> True. No, God, you, know, you wouldn't want to. You, you wouldn't know. want to. But but I we think... kind of put that as a caveat. Oh, oh, by the way, these therapists are absolutely amazing and look at their lives and look what they went through and look at their careers now. And that's kind of indirectly indicating to them that, you know, actually we are humans. And if you go through shit, it's actually a good thing for your for you as a, as a human being. I would never Which you can't sell. <laughs> no, I would never actually say that to anybody because when you're in it you are so far away from control initially. Yeah. So uh, yes it comes with a decision to 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 change it. Yeah. To find a route out. That's all it was to begin with. So yeah. I'm not bigging myself up. All it was was shall I try to find a way to recover from this yeah. or not? Yeah. So, yeah. and I wasn't entirely sure where I was going with wow. it, but the but the core model, the three pillars of of kindness, if you like, which was companionship, consideration, and care, those came to me yeah. only because I decided to to find that path. Yeah. And the reason I I found that it was companionship 
that was important to be companionable to oneself was it was more active than compassion. Mm. I have compassion for people on the other side of the world that are going through terrible times in war-torn zones or earthquake victims. I have compassion for them. But I can't be companionable to them unless I'm there actively showing I'm going to walk by your side through this. And that's what occurred to me is I have to walk by my own side through this. That's Do you powerful. See? So, so it was a very different thing to compassion. Mm. Mm. Compassion is passive. Companionability is active and demonstrable. You can see it. And that's what I had to do. And that's where the model came from. So, you know, and look, I was, a, I was very lucky. Yeah, I was lucky to, to be able to have that insight and, and, and get better. And now, you know, I'm in a better place yeah. to support others. And, and I'm absolutely convinced that my neurological regulation yeah. that I experience now, that inner quiet yeah. that I have, helps others that I'm yeah. sat with. Yeah. I mean, you know, we st I mean, I still get anxiety attacks, you know, occasionally. And that's because certain triggers happen in a certain sequence, which leads to the trauma. And I know that happens and I know I'm going through it. And then I can make that decision okay this is this is happening to me and I know what will get me out of that because I've been through it so many times that's fantastic and um, that just shows you though doesn't it that yeah. you're not in control of the triggers yeah that's yeah. that's life I mean we have a trauma I mean, template I mean, and, are, and the triggers happen yeah I mean you are in control of the triggers because you're triggering you're being triggered to the trigger so that's where internal like opening your third eye and knowing more about yourself and as you know our psyche is absolutely massive it's like the size of the universe and it's and you know the universe is dark there's not many stars there so you know it's it's a lifelong endeavor of knowing yourself which you know makes... what i call it I, I call i call the mind riding an untamed horse yeah exactly kind of and... kind of get get used to like <laughs> you're not entirely sure where it's going get get used to the riding yeah <laughs> exactly i yeah i i think I think once you've got a trauma template where the imprint of trauma has happened, you, you can have some understanding and control of it, but you are still at the mercy of triggers that you're not aware of because the yeah. world's happening around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For instance, if I, for if, if I feel under threat, I'll, I'll have an anxiety reaction, yeah. not massively so, sometimes bigger than others. Um, but I, I'm not even sure what it is. Yeah. Mm. So mm. I'm the, I'm the kind of person that if I think something's going down, I'm out of there big time. I've got an ejector seat. I'll get yeah. off a bus. I'll get off a tube. I'll get, I'll yeah. change direction in my car. I will get, up, get up out of a yeah. restaurant. I will yeah. adjust in the moment, and I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know that that's what I'm taking care of. It's yeah, the I triggers that, out there. Yeah, it's that intuition that 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 some people have developed so much. And I mean, I get that when I do talks as well, you know, when, when I'm out there doing my workshops, you instantly get that, the, the vibe of, of the whole place and you think, uh oh, this is going to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that's a funny offshoot to my trauma, actually, is that though, like public speaking and mm. things like that, I don't get so nervous about like yeah. that, the, the work on myself, I guess, because I can't fall out with myself. 
cool. anymore. Yeah, that's lovely. So that so I'll I'll just go. This is a great opportunity to talk to three hundred people. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, enjoy yeah. it. You know, give yeah. what you can give and and in, enjoy it. But I can be like sat on a tube and I think, oh, oh, I'm in danger. Boom, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's because of threat, I suppose. I th- I, it must be allied to the assault, I, I guess. Mm. And, mm. and so, you know, there's a neural pathway that is like, boom, you're under threat. Yeah. And I just don't risk it. I just get out, the, get the hell out of the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a horrible feeling, you know, having that sort of... Actually, I had one yesterday. I was um, I was at work and you know had so many different bad news as all happening at the same time and you know for about 20 seconds had that sinking feeling inside of me oh here we go again and um but it's grounding you know and i've got my own way of grounding and sort of going within and tapping into that to that internal myself which i love unconditionally and tapping into that and say, yeah. wow, you know, you are the center of the universe and you generate your universe and you generate your existence. Well, let's go back into that sort of positive um, existence that we know is around us. You know, I just look at the tree and I think, wow, this is amazing. Just the yeah. fact that you've got a tree there that's been around for a thousand years, giving constantly. It's and really interesting, isn't it? Because working with people that are transforming trauma, I mean, I remember it myself, like, things become more vivid i can remember the greens in the countryside became more oh i'm like oh my goodness have i had cataracts on before because the the green is so much brighter yeah and clients of mine say look oh my goodness you know everything seems more, more amazing yeah because they're well i guess that if you're not in that inner world that's foggy and yeah and and, and dark and in conflict you you can you can blossom open you yeah. you just become more it's almost like being but more wide-eyed isn't it yeah yeah or third-eyed you know opening your third eye there you go <laughs> <laughs> cool so um how can people get hold of you and sort of um uh, because you've got a book out as well how to smile yeah. again yeah i've got two two books the first book um was aimed at people in public life because I worked with a lot of people who lived in the public eye and so their traumas were like those bare wounds Uh, but I actually kind of rewrote that book and called it Smile Again and that's for people that are are on the verge of burnout or have already burnt out or managing overwhelming stress and um, really that, that book was born out of getting to a point where I wanted to download my 20 years experience and the the methodology that I took people through through trauma um, almost by accident really it started to occur to me that oh there there's a bit of a formula here it's it's not um, a prescription but there are these elements that I use with everybody um, or that they're bringing to me and and I just I put them in a book so so that's really helped people have fed back that they find that really helpful yeah. look not everybody's going to come and work with a therapist are they which is understandable yeah. won't want to or you know we are can't scary find as me well or... <laughs> yeah exactly so there is that um so yeah the book was about downloading that so that it could reach more people yeah. because uh, you you have to realize that as a lone therapist really you're 
it, you're working mostly one-to-one and that's wonderful and it's a massive privilege to do that but there's hundreds and thousands and millions of other people that might benefit mm. so that's where the book came from so um but i'm just having my web- website redone that cool. should be out in the next fortnight but my um my current website is still there which is um annapinkerton.com great you can reach me there i'm on linkedin wonderful i'm on um twitter which is anna pinkerton ki which cool. is kind of incorporated so yeah wonderful wonderful yeah. and and my last question to you anna is what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done oh oh the naughtiest thing naughty, i've ever naughty. done I do not know. Mm. I used to be quite heavily into skinny dipping. So probably the naughtiest thing I ever did because it's kind of a bit unsavory now, but skinny dipping in a in a communal swimming pool probably. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably done way worse. I just I'm just filtering it. I can't think of anything. <laughs> I'll come back to you on it. Cool, cool. Yeah, put it on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. that'll sell. <laughs> okay, Anna, thanks a lot. Yeah, lovely to speak to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this instalment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at the Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.